Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. I don't know about you, but we love mystery stories. That's why the Upside Down Story is one of our favorite podcasts. It turns a tale flipsy-flopsy upside-downsy so that you need to listen to the clues to figure out who the mystery storyteller is. Search for the Upside Down Story on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's me, Birdie, the conductor of the story train. I'm the one that wears a green baseball cap with a little white birdie on the front and my favorite overalls. All aboard the story train, find a comfy seat. We're about to leave the station, and you know what that means. We're going someplace new. One whistle, we're on our way. I wonder where story train will lead us this time. We're entering the rainbow tunnel. Hold on, everyone. It's off to far, far away. This is so exciting. Just on the other side of the short rainbow tunnel lies our destination. That was quick. We're already at the end of the tunnel. Oh, I know this place. It's a small and unhappy house. Let's peer inside to see how misery can be turned to joy with hope and kindness. Today's story is called Cinderella. There was once a man whose beloved wife died, leaving him with a young daughter. The man loved his little daughter very much and wished for her to have a happy home again, despite his own grief. So he married a second time, thinking that a new wife would breathe life and happiness back into their saddened home. But unfortunately, his second wife turned out to be nothing like his first wife. Where his first wife had been kind and humble, his second wife was the most disagreeable and proudest person you can imagine. And she had two daughters exactly like herself. Scarcely had the second marriage taken place than the stepmother became jealous of the good qualities of the man's little girl, who was so much more beautiful both inside and out than her own two daughters. The stepmother gave her all the menial occupations of the house, forcing her to wash the floors and staircases, to dust the bedrooms and clean the grates. Meanwhile, the second wife gave her own children lives of leisure. She allowed them to each have a carpeted bedroom hung with mirrors where they could see themselves from head to foot, while her husband's poor little girl was sent to sleep in an attic on an old straw mattress with only one chair and not a single mirror in the room. The little girl suffered in silence, not daring to complain to her father, who was bossed around mercilessly by his new wife. When her daily work was done each day, she would sit down in the chimney corner amongst the ashes. This caused her two mean stepsisters to give her the nickname Cinderella. But Cinderella, however shabbily dressed, was more beautiful than they were even with all their fine clothes. It happened that the king's son decided to hold a ball, to which he invited all the ladies in society, including Cinderella's two older stepsisters. The stepsisters were very proud and happy to be invited to this event, and spent all their time deciding what they should wear. This became a source of new trouble for poor Cinderella, whose duty it was to dress them in fine linen and laces. 
She could never please her two horrid stepsisters, no matter how hard she tried. They talked of nothing but their clothes. I, said the elder, shall wear my velvet gown and my trimmings of English lace. And I, added the younger, will have my ordinary silk petticoat, but I shall adorn it with an upper skirt of flowered brocade, and shall put on my diamond tiara, which is a great deal finer than anything of yours. At this the elder sister became angry, and a fight broke out between the two of them. They demanded that Cinderella decide between them who would look better at the ball. Cinderella gave them both the best advice she could, and gently offered to dress them both herself, and especially to arrange their hair, which she had a real talent for. The important evening arrived, and Cinderella exercised all her skill to make her two stepsisters look nice. While she was combing out the elder sister's hair, this ill-natured girl said sharply, Cinderella, do you not wish you were going to the ball? Ah, said Cinderella sadly, you are only mocking me. It is not my fortune to have such a pleasure. You are right, her stepsister retorted. People would only laugh to see a little cinder wrench like you at a royal ball. Cinderella bit her lip at her stepsister's taunting, and she managed to hold back her tears as she watched her stepsisters and stepmother leave for the ball in their coach later that night. But as soon as their coach had whirled them away, Cinderella sat down by the kitchen fire, let her feelings out, and cried. Immediately, her godmother, who was a fairy, appeared beside her. "'What are you crying for, my dear?' Oh, I wish, I wish. Cinderella's sobs stopped her from finishing. You wish to go to the ball, isn't it so? Cinderella nodded to her fairy godmother. Well then, you shall go. First run into the garden and fetch me the largest pumpkin you can find. Cinderella did not understand what this had to do with her going to the ball, but she went out and found a pumpkin nonetheless. Her fairy godmother took the pumpkin, and having scooped out all of its insides, struck it with her magic wand. It became a splendid coat lined with rose-colored satin. Cinderella gasped with wonder. Now, fetch me the mouse trap out of the pantry, my dear. Cinderella brought it. It contained six of the fattest, sleekest mice. The fairy godmother lifted up the wire door, and as each mouse ran out, she struck it and changed it into a beautiful black horse. Cinderella rubbed her eyes in disbelief. Hmm, but what shall I do for your coachman, Cinderella? Cinderella suggested that she had seen a large black rat in the rat trap, and that he might do. You are right. Go and look again for him. The rat was found, and the fairy made him into a most respectable coachman, with the finest mustache imaginable. She afterwards took six lizards from behind the pumpkin frame and changed them into six footmen, all in splendid livery, who immediately jumped up behind the carriage as if they had been footmen all their lives. Well, Cinderella, now you can go to the ball. Oh, dear fairy godmother, not in these clothes, said Cinderella piteously, looking down at her ragged frock. Her fairy godmother laughed and touched her with the magic wand. Her wretched, threadbare jacket became stiff with gold and sparkling with jewels. Her woolen petticoat lengthened into a gown of sweeping satin, from underneath which peeped out her little feet, no longer bare but covered with silk stockings and the prettiest glass slippers in the world. Now, Cinderella, depart. But remember, if you stay one instant after midnight, your carriage will become a pumpkin, your coachman a rat, your horses mice, and your footmen lizards, while you yourself will be clothed in rags once more. Cinderella promised to leave the ball before midnight without fear. Her heart was so full of joy. 
Meanwhile, at the palace, the king's son had been told by a magic whisper from the fairy godmother that an uninvited princess whom nobody yet knew had decided to stop by the ball. The prince waited eagerly at the entrance of the castle, waiting to receive her. He offered his hand to Cinderella as she arrived looking exactly like a princess and led her with the utmost courtesy through the assembled guests, who stood aside to let her pass, whispering to one another, Oh, how beautiful she is! Cinderella's triumph was complete. All the court ladies scanned her eagerly, clothes and all, determining to have theirs made next day in exactly the same pattern. The prince himself led her out to dance, and she danced so gracefully that he admired her more and more. Indeed, at supper, which was fortunately early, the prince's admiration quite took away his appetite. While she was talking with the prince, she heard the clock strike a quarter to twelve, and so, with a curtsy, Cinderella let the prince escort her from the ball to her carriage. Please, oh please, mysterious princess, said the prince, if I hold another ball tomorrow night, will you come? Cinderella did not know if she could, so with a small smile she told the prince that she would try. Then off she went in her carriage to arrive safely home before midnight when the spell ended. Once she returned, Cinderella found her fairy godmother waiting up for her. Cinderella begged permission from her fairy godmother to go to the second ball that the prince had invited her to the following night. But before her fairy godmother could answer, her two stepsisters were heard knocking at the gate. Quickly, the fairy godmother vanished, leaving Cinderella sitting in the chimney corner, rubbing her eyes and pretending to be very sleepy in the ashes. Ah, cried the eldest sister maliciously. It has been the most delightful ball, and there was the most beautiful princess there I've ever seen. Really, said Cinderella indifferently. And who might she be? Nobody knows, though everybody would give their eyes to know, especially the prince. Is that so, replied Cinderella, a little more interested. Oh, I should like to see her. Will you not let me go with you tomorrow, sisters, and lend me your yellow gown that you wear on Sundays? What? Lend my yellow gown to a cinder wrench like you? <laughs> I should think not. Cinderella shook her head sadly. The next night came, and the two stepsisters, richly dressed in different outfits, went to the ball again with their mother. Cinderella, more splendidly attired and more beautiful than ever, followed the three of them to the palace shortly after. Now remember to return by midnight, was her godmother's parting speech. And Cinderella left again without fear, thinking that it would be no problem to return before midnight. But the prince's attentions to her were even greater than they'd been the first evening, and in the delight of listening to his pleasant conversation, time slipped by. While Cinderella was sitting beside him in a lovely alcove and looking at the moon from under a bower of orange blossoms, she suddenly heard a clock strike the first stroke of twelve. She got up in a panic and fled! Amazed, the prince followed her, but he simply could not catch up. Cinderella arrived at home, breathless and weary, ragged and cold, without a carriage or footmen or coachmen. The only remnant she had of her past magnificence was one of her little glass slippers. The other one she had dropped as she ran away from the ball. When the two sisters returned, they were full of this strange adventure, how the beautiful lady had appeared at the ball more beautiful than ever and enchanted everyone who looked at her, and how as the clock was striking twelve, she had suddenly risen and fled from the ballroom, disappearing and dropping one of her glass slippers behind her. They said that the king's son had been inconsolable until he happened to pick up the little glass slipper, which he carried away in his pocket. He behaved like a man very much in love. In fact, from his behavior during the remainder of the evening, all the court and royal family were convinced that he had become desperately enamored of the wearer of the little glass slipper. 
Cinderella listened in silence, sadly turning her face to the kitchen fire. And the next morning she went to her weary housework again, just as before. A few days after, the whole city was attracted by the sight of a herald going around with a little glass slipper in his hand, publishing, with a flourish of trumpets, that the prince ordered it to be tried on the foot of every lady in the kingdom, and that he wished to marry the lady to whom it belonged. Princesses, duchesses, countesses, and simple gentlewomen all tried it on, but being a fairy slipper, it didn't fit any of them. And besides, nobody could produce its fellow slipper, which lay all the time safely in the pocket of Cinderella's old drab dress. At last, the herald came to the house of her two stepsisters, and they made every attempt to get their clumsy feet into the glass slipper, but without luck. Let me try it on, said Cinderella from the chimney corner. What? You? cried the others, bursting into shouts of laughter. But Cinderella only smiled and held out her hand. Her mean stepsisters and stepmother could not prevent her from trying it on, since the command was that every young woman in the city should try on the slipper. So the herald had Cinderella sit down on a three-legged stool in the kitchen, and himself slid the slipper onto her foot, which it fitted perfectly. Cinderella then took from her pocket the fellow slipper, which she also put on and stood up. At that moment, with the touch of the magic shoes, Cinderella's entire dress was changed from rags into a gown. She again appeared as the beautiful lady whom the prince loved. Cinderella's stepsisters and stepmother recognized her at once in the gown as the princess they so admired. Filled with astonishment, they threw themselves at her feet, begging her forgiveness for all their former unkindness. Cinderella raised and embraced them, told them she forgave them with all her heart, and only hoped they would be kind to others in the future. Then she departed with the herald to the king's palace, and told her story to the prince and his royal family, who were not in the least surprised, for everybody believed in fairies, and everybody longed to have a fairy godmother. For the young prince, he found Cinderella more lovely and lovable than ever, and insisted upon marrying her immediately. Cinderella never went home again, but she saw her kind father often. It's time for us to head back to Pflugerville. Here comes the Rainbow Tunnel. Come back and see me again. You never know where the story train will take us. And if you like stories, search for Go Kid Go wherever you listen, and you'll find lots of great adventures. See you next time! It's me, Bertie, the conductor of the story train. I'm the one that wears a green baseball cap with a little white birdie on the front and my favorite overalls. <coughs> All aboard the story train. Find a comfy seat. We're about to leave the station, and you know what that means. We're going someplace new. <coughs> One whistle, we're on our way. I wonder where Story Train will lead us this time. We're entering the Rainbow Tunnel. Hold on, everyone. It's off to far, far away. This is so exciting. Just on the other side of the short Rainbow Tunnel lies our destination. That was quick. We're already at the end of the tunnel. Oh, I know this place. It's a little house in the middle of a forest. Can you think of big animals that live in the forest? Hmm, tigers, wolves, and bears. 
Today's story is about a girl who unexpectedly comes face to face with bears in the forest. It's called Goldilocks and the Three Bears. There was once a little girl whose hair was so bright and yellow that it glittered in the sun like spun gold. For this reason, she was called Goldilocks. One day, Goldilocks went out into the meadows to gather flowers. She wandered on and on, and after a while, she came to a forest where she had never been before. Feeling brave, Goldilocks decided to venture into the forest where it was very cool and shady. After walking for a while, she came to a little house, standing all alone in the forest. And as Goldilocks was tired and thirsty, she knocked at the door. She hoped the good people inside would give her a drink and let her rest for a little while before heading back. Now Goldilocks did not know it, but this house did not belong to people. Oh no, 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 no! This house belonged to three bears. There was a great big father bear, and a middle-sized mother bear, and a dear little baby bear no bigger than Goldilocks herself. But the three bears had gone out to take a walk in the forest while their supper was cooling, so when Goldilocks knocked at the door, no one was home to answer. Goldilocks waited a while, and then she knocked again. And as nobody answered her again, she pushed the door open and stepped inside. There in a row stood three chairs. One was a great big chair, and it belonged to the father bear. And one was a middle-sized chair, and it belonged to the mother bear. And one was a dear little chair, and it belonged to the baby bear. And on the table stood three bowls of smoking hot porridge. And so, thought Goldilocks, the people must be coming back soon to eat it. She thought she would sit down and rest until they came. So first she sat down in the great big chair. But the cushion was too soft. It seemed as though it would swallow her up whole. Then she sat down in the middle-sized chair. And the cushion was too hard, and it was not comfortable at all. Then she sat down in the dear little chair, and it was just right, and fitter as though it had been made for her. So there Goldilocks sat, and she rocked and she rocked, and she sat and she sat, and she rocked and she rocked, and she sat and she sat, until with all of her rocking and all of her sitting, she sat the bottom right out of the little chair and broke it. And still nobody had come home, and there stood the bowls of porridge on the table. Hmm, they can't be very hungry people, thought Goldilocks to herself, or they would have come home by now to eat their suppers. And so she went over to the table. The first bowl was a great big bowl with a great big wooden spoon in it, and that was the father bear's bowl. The second bowl was a middle-sized bowl with a middle-sized wooden spoon in it, and that was the mother bear's bowl. And the third bowl was a dear little bowl with a dear little silver spoon in it, and that was the baby bear's bowl. The porridge that was in the bowl smelled so good that Goldilocks thought she would just taste it. What harm could there be in just having a little taste, right? So Goldilocks took up the great big spoon and tasted the porridge in the great big bowl. Oh, but it was too hot. Then she took up the middle-sized spoon and tasted the porridge in the middle-sized bowl. And it was too cold. Yuck! Then she took up the little silver spoon and tasted the porridge in the dear little bowl. And it was just right. And it tasted so good that she tasted and tasted and tasted and tasted until she tasted it all up. After eating the lovely porridge, Goldilocks felt very sleepy, 
So she went upstairs and looked about her, and saw that there were three beds all in a row. The first bed was the great big bed that belonged to the father bed, and the second bed was a middle-sized bed that belonged to the mother bear, and the third bed was a dear little bed that belonged to the dear little baby bear. Goldilocks lay down on the great big bed to try it, but the pillow was too high and she wasn't comfortable at all. Then she lay down on the middle-sized bed, and the pillow was too low, and that wasn't comfortable either. Then Goldilocks lay down on the little baby bear's bed, and it was exactly right, and so very comfortable that she lay there and lay there until she fell fast asleep. Now while Goldilocks was still asleep in the little bed, the three bears came home again, and as soon as they stepped inside the door and looked around, they knew that somebody had been there. Somebody's been sitting in my chair, growled the father bear in his great big voice, and left the cushion crooked. And somebody's been sitting in my chair, said the mother bear, and left it standing crooked. And somebody's been sitting in my chair, squeaked the baby bear in his shrill little voice, and they've broken it. And he felt very sad about it. Then the three bears went over to the table to get their porridge. What's this? growled the father bear in his great big voice. Somebody's been tasting my porridge and left the spoon on the table. And somebody's been tasting my porridge, said the mother bear in her middle-sized voice, and they've splashed it all over the side of the bowl. And somebody's been tasting my porridge, squealed the baby bear, and they've eaten it all up. And when he said so, the baby bear looked as if he were about to cry. If somebody's been here, they must be here still, said the mother bear. So the three bears went upstairs to look. First, the father bear looked at his bed. Somebody's been lying on my bed and pulled the covers down, he growled in his great big voice. Then the mother bear looked at her bed. Somebody's been lying on my bed and pulled the pillow off said she in her middle-sized voice. Then the baby bear looked at his bed, and there lay little Goldilocks with her cheeks as pink as roses and her golden hair all spread over the pillow. Somebody's been lying in my bed, squeaked the baby bear, and she's still here. Now when Goldilocks in her dreams heard the great big father bear's voice, she had dreamed it was thunder. And when she heard the mother bear's middle-sized voice, she had dreamed it was the wind blowing through the trees. But when she heard the baby bear's voice, it was so shrill and sharp, it woke her right up. She sat up in bed, and there were the three bears standing around and looking at her. Oh my goodness me, cried Goldilocks. She tumbled out of bed and ran to the window. It was open, and she jumped before the bears could stop her. Then home she ran as fast as she could, and Goldilocks never went near the forest again. It's time for us to head back to Pflugerville. Here comes the Rainbow Tunnel. Come back and see me again. You never know where the story train will take us. And if you like stories, search for Go Kid Go wherever you listen, and you'll find lots of great adventures. See you next time. It's me, Birdie, the conductor of the story train. I'm the one that wears a green baseball cap with a little white birdie on the front and my favorite overalls. All aboard the story train! Find a comfy seat. We're about to leave the station, and you know what that means. We're going someplace new. One whistle, we're on our way. 
I wonder where Story Train will lead us this time. We're entering the Rainbow Tunnel. Hold on, everyone. It's off to far, far away. This is so exciting. Just on the other side of the short Rainbow Tunnel lies our destination. That was quick. We're already at the end of the tunnel. Oh, I know this place. It's a little house in the middle of a dense forest. Today's story is about a beautiful and kind little girl and her very evil stepmother. It's called Snow White. Once upon a time, in the middle of winter, when the flakes of snow fell like feathers from the sky, a queen sat at a window set in an ebony frame and sewed. While she was sewing and watching the snow fall, she pricked her finger with her needle, and three drops of blood fell on the snow. And because the crimson looked so beautiful on the white snow, she thought, Oh, how I wish I had a child, as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of this ebony frame. Soon afterwards, the queen's wishes came to pass, for she had a little daughter, who was as white as snow, as red as blood, and with hair as black as ebony. Sadly, though, the dear queen died during the birth of her much-loved child. Before she passed away, the queen named her daughter Snow White. After a year had gone by, the grieving king took another wife. She was a pretty lady, but proud and haughty, and she could not endure for anyone to surpass her in beauty. She had a magic mirror, and whenever she walked up to it and looked at herself in it, she said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all? Then the mirror replied, Lady Queen, so grand and tall, thou art the fairest of us all. And she would be satisfied, for she knew the mirror always told the truth. But Snow White grew even taller and fairer, and at seven years old she was as beautiful as the day, and much more beautiful than the queen herself. So when her stepmother the queen asked her mirror, 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 on the wall, who is the fairest of us all? It answered, Lady Queen, you are grand and tall, but Snow White is now the fairest of us all. At this, the queen was startled, and she turned green with envy. From that hour, she so hated Snow White that she burned with secret wrath whenever she saw her. Pride and envy grew like weeds in her heart until she had no rest day or night. So she called a huntsman and said, Take the child out in the forest, for I will endure her no longer in my sight. Kill her and bring me her lungs and liver as tokens of what you have done. The huntsman obeyed and led Snow White away. But when he had drawn his hunting knife and was about to pierce Snow White's innocent heart, she began to weep and said, Ah, oh, dear huntsman, spare my life and I will run deep into the wild forest and never come home. I promise, I promise. The huntsman took pity on her because she looked so lovely and said, Run away then, poor child. The huntsman took a bear's liver and lungs back and carried them as tokens to the queen, who did not know the difference. The poor child Snow White was now all alone in the great forest, and she felt frightened as she looked at all the leafy trees. She didn't know what to do, so she began to run, and she ran over the sharp stones and through the thorns, and the wild beasts passed close to her but did her no harm. She ran for as long as her feet could carry her, and when evening closed in, she saw a little house and went into it to rest herself. Everything in the house was very small, but it was very pretty and very clean. 
in the little house was a little table, covered with a white tablecloth, on which there were seven little plates. Each little plate had its own little spoon, and there were also seven little knives and forks and seven little cups. Around the walls stood seven little beds close together with crisp white sheets. Snow White, being so hungry and thirsty, ate a little of the vegetables and bread on each plate and drank a drop of water from every cup. Then, being very tired, oh, Snow White laid herself down in one of the beds, but could not make herself comfortable, for one was a bit too long and another a bit too short. The seventh bed, luckily, was just right. So there she stayed, said her prayers, and fell asleep. When it had grown quite dark outside, home came the masters of the little house, seven dwarves who delved and mined for iron among the mountains. They lit their seven candles, and as soon as there was light in the kitchen, they saw that someone had been there, for it was not quite as orderly as they had left it. The first said, who has been sitting on my stool? The second, who has eaten off my plate? The third, who has taken part of my bread? The fourth, who has touched my vegetables? The fifth, who has used my fork? The sixth, who has cut with my knife? The seventh, who has drunk out of my little cup? Then the first dwarf looked about and saw that there was a slight hollow in his bed. So he asked, Who has been lying in my little bed? The others came running and each called out, Someone has been lying in my bed! Someone has been lying in my bed! Someone has also been lying in my bed! But the seventh, when he looked at his bed, saw Snow White there fast asleep. He called the others who flocked around with cries of surprise, fetched their seven candles and cast the light on Snow White. Oh, heaven, they cried, what a lovely child, and were so pleased to have her company that they didn't wake her, shh, but let her sleep on in the little bed. The seventh dwarf slept with all of his companions in turn, an hour with each, and so they spent a restless but happy night. When it was morning, Snow White woke up, and she was frightened when she saw the seven dwarves. They were very friendly, however, and asked her her name. Snow White, she answered shyly. How have you found your way to our house? asked the dwarves. So she told them how her stepmother had tried to kill her, how the huntsmen had spared her life, and how she had run the whole day through, until at last she had found their little house. Then the dwarves said, If you will help keep our house clean and cook, you can stay with us and shall want for nothing. Oh, I will, said Snow White. So she lived with them and kept their house in order. Every morning the dwarves went out among the mountains to seek iron and gold and came home ready for supper in the evening. Because Snow White was left alone all day long, the good dwarves warned her often, saying, Beware of your wicked stepmother, Snow White, who will soon find out that you are here. Take care not to let anybody in. Meanwhile, the evil queen, believing that Snow White was dead, had no doubt that she was again the fairest woman in the world. So she walked confidently up to her magic mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of us all? The mirror replied, Lady Queen so grand and tall, here you are fairest of them all. But over the hills with the seven dwarves old, lives Snow White, fairer a hundredfold. At this the queen trembled, knowing that her mirror never told a falsehood. She felt sure that the huntsman had deceived her and that Snow White was still alive. She pondered once more, late and early, early and late, how best to kill Snow White, for envy gave her no rest day or night, while she herself was not the fairest lady in the land. So the queen came up with a plan. 
She painted her face, dressed herself like an old peddler woman, and altered her appearance so much that no one could have recognized her. In this disguise, she went over the seven hills to where the seven dwarfs dwelt, knocked at the door, and cried out, "Good wares, cheap, very cheap." Snow White looked out of the window and said sweetly, "Good morning, good woman. What have you got to sell?" Good wares, smart wares," answered the queen. Bodice laces of all colors, and drew out one which was woven of silk. I may surely let this honest woman in," thought Snow White. So she unfastened the door and bought some of the pretty lace. "Child," said the old woman, "what a figure you have! Let me lace you up properly." Snow White feared no harm, so she stepped in front of her and allowed her bodice to be fastened up with the new lace. But the old woman laced so quickly and laced so tightly that Snow White's breath stopped and she fell down as if dead. Now I am fairest at last," said the queen to herself, and sped away, still in disguise. The seven dwarves came home soon after and were so alarmed to find their dear Snow White lifeless on the ground. They lifted her up, and seeing that she was laced far too tightly, cut the lace of her bodice. She began to breathe faintly, and slowly returned to life. When the dwarves heard what had happened, they said. The old peddler woman was none other than the wicked queen. Be careful, Snow White, and do not open the door to anyone if we are not at home. The cruel stepmother, meanwhile, walked up to her mirror when she reached the palace, and said, "Mirror, mirror on the wall, now who's the fairest of us all?" To which it answered, as usual, "Lady queen, so grand and tall." Here you are fairest of them all, but over the hills with the seven dwarves old lives Snow White, fairer a hundredfold. <gasps> When she heard this, the queen was so alarmed that all the blood rushed to her heart, for she knew that Snow White must still be alive. This time, she screeched, "I will think of some means that will destroy Snow White." Utterly, and with the help of witchcraft, the queen made a poisoned comb. Then she changed her clothes and took the shape of another old woman. Again, she crossed the seven hills to the home of the seven dwarves, knocked at the door, and cried out, "Good wares, very cheap!" Snow White looked out and said, "Go away! I dare let no one in." You may surely be allowed to look. Answered the old woman, and she drew out the poisoned comb and held it up. Oh, the girl was so pleased with the beautiful comb that she let herself be cajoled and opened the door. When the bargain was struck, the dame said, "Now let me dress your hair properly." Poor Snow White had not learned her lesson and let the old woman begin. But the comb had scarcely touched her hair before the poison worked, and Snow White fell down senseless. Paragon of beauty," said the wicked woman. "All is over for you now," and went away. Luckily, it was near evening, and the seven dwarves soon came home. Oh, when they found Snow White lifeless on the ground, they at once knew her stepmother was behind it. They searched and found the poison comb, and as soon as they had removed it from her hair, Snow White came to herself and told them everything that had happened. Again, they warned her to be more careful and never to open the door to anyone. Back at the palace, the wicked queen placed herself confidently before the mirror and said. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Now, who's the fairest of us all? But it again answered, "Lady Queen, so grand and tall. Here you are fairest of them all. But over the hills with the seven dwarves old lives Snow White, fairer a thousandfold." Well, when she heard the mirror say this, she quivered with rage. Snow White shall die," she cried, "even if it costs me my own life."
Then the evil queen went to a secret chamber where no one ever disturbed her and made an apple filled with deadly poison. Ripe and rosy-cheeked, it was so beautiful to look at that all who saw it longed for it. But this apple would bring death to anyone who ate it. When the apple was ready, the queen painted her face, disguised herself as a peasant woman, and journeyed over the seven hills to where the seven dwarves lived. At the sound of the knock, Snow White put her head out of the window and said, I'm very sorry, but I can't open the door to anybody, for the seven dwarves have forbidden me to do so. Very well, replied the peasant woman. I only want to be rid of my apples. Here, I will just give you one of them. No, said Snow White, I dare not take it. Ha! Are you afraid of being poisoned? asked the old woman. Look here, I will cut the apple in two, and you shall eat the rosy side, and I the white. Now the fruit was so cunningly made that only the rosy side was poisoned. Snow White longed for the pretty apple, and when she saw the peasant woman eating it too, she could resist no longer, but stretched out her hand and took the poisoned half. She had scarcely tasted it when she fell lifeless to the ground. The queen, laughing loudly, watched Snow White drop with a barbarous look and cried out, Oh, thou who art white as snow, red as blood, and black as ebony, the seven dwarves cannot wake you up this time. And then, when she got home, she asked the mirror, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of us all? The mirror at last replied, Lady Queen, so grand and tall, you are the fairest of them all. At this, her envious heart had as much comfort as an envious heart can ever know. When the dwarves came home in the evening, they found Snow White lying breathless and motionless on the ground. They lifted her up, searched whether she had anything poisonous about her, unlaced her, combed her hair, and washed her with water. But everything was useless, for they could not bring the darling child back to life this time. They laid her on a plank of wood, and all the seven dwarves placed themselves around it and mourned for Snow White for three long days. Then they would have buried her, but because she looked so fresh and lifelike and had such lovely rosy cheeks, they said, We cannot lower her into the dark earth. Instead, the seven dwarves made a transparent coffin of glass so that Snow White could be seen on all sides. They laid her in it gently, writing her name outside in letters of gold, which told that she was the daughter of a king. Then they placed the coffin on the mountain above, and one of them always stayed by it and guarded it. But there was little need to guard it for even the wild animals came and mourned for Snow White. The birds, too. First an owl, then a raven, and afterwards a dove. For many long years, Snow White lay in her coffin unchanged, looking as though she was asleep, for she was still white as snow, red as blood, and her hair was as black as ebony. At last the son of a king happened to wander into the forest and came to the dwarf's house for a night's shelter. He saw the coffin on the mountain with the beautiful Snow White in it and read what was written there in letters of gold. Then he said to the dwarves, Let me have the coffin. I will give you whatever you want for it. But the dwarves answered, we would not part with Snow White's coffin for all the gold in the world. The prince said again, Yet give it to me, for I cannot live without seeing Snow White, and though she is dead, I will prize and honor her as my beloved. Then the good dwarves took pity on him and gave the prince the coffin. The prince had it borne away by his men. They happened to stumble over a bush, and the shock of the bump forced the bit of poisoned apple which Snow White had tasted right out of her throat. Immediately she opened her eyes, raised the coffin lid, and sat up, alive once more. 
Oh, heaven, cried Snow White, where am I? The prince answered joyfully, You are with me, and told her what had happened, saying, I love you more dearly than anything else in the world, Snow White. Come with me to my father's castle and be my wife. Snow White, well pleased, went with him, got to know him, and then at last they were married with much state and grandeur. The wicked stepmother was invited to the feast. Richly dressed, she stood before the mirror and asked of it. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of us all? The mirror answered, Lady Queen, so grand and tall, here you are fairest among them all, but the young queen over the mountains old is fairer than you a thousandfold. At this, the evil-hearted woman uttered a curse and could scarcely endure her anguish. She first resolved not to attend the wedding, but curiosity would not allow her to rest. She determined to travel and see who that young queen could be who was the most beautiful in all the world. When she arrived at the wedding and found out that it was Snow White alive again, she screamed with rage until she fell down quite dead. It's time for us to head back to Pflugerville. Here comes the Rainbow Tunnel. Come back and see me again. You never know where the story train will take us. And if you like stories, search for Go Kid Go wherever you listen, and you'll find lots of great adventures. See you next time! Go Kid Go! Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts.